Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Hey, podcast listeners. In the month of August, we are talking estate planning, and we thought one of the great ways to do that was to bring back a couple of episodes that we've previously had, one of them being with Mike Martino, Michael Martino, as many of you may know him. He is an estate planning attorney located in Corning, New York. Uh, Really enjoyed the podcast recording that we did with him. So we thought we would bring back episode 78. For those of you that might be new to the show, we hope you enjoy it. And for those of you that may have listened to it, it has been a while. It's good to do a refresher. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoy this show. Don't forget to hop on over and rate it and share it with your friends. Enjoy. Every week, it's my goal to share a story of someone's journey through their life and financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vines and the influences in the air that help craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different palettes that should be celebrated and not judged. This week, I am so proud to have Michael Martino on the show. Uh, Mike and I have known each other for quite some time. He is an attorney and partner in the firm Rossetti, Rossetti and Martino. He practices primarily as a trust and estate attorney with a very special emphasis on something called elder law. This includes Medicaid planning, long-term care planning, asset protection, and related nursing home issues. This practice includes the preparation of filing Medicaid applications on behalf of clients and direct communication with departments of social services in many counties of New York State, including Steuben, Shimon, Schuyler, Tompkins, Allegheny, Monroe, Madison, St. Lawrence counties, and other upstate areas. Mike offers this elder lock to his clients in a variety of strategies, including asset protection trusts, annuity planning, promissory notes, and other devices to preserve assets. This is a very special episode as he is an extremely busy attorney and has taken time out of his schedule to actually work with us. Mike was admitted into practice of law in New York in 1987 and he graduated from Western New England School of Law in 1986. I really think you're going to enjoy this and over 30 some years of experience being shared with us. If you want to reach out to Mike, we'll have some information in the show notes on where you can contact his his practice. We really hope you enjoy it. We want you to sit on back, grab your favorite beverage, and sip away as Mike shares his knowledge and experience in this profession. You are listening to Wine and Dime, the podcast that combines two passions, wine and personal finance, with your host, Amy Irvine. Amy is a certified financial planner and owner of Rooted Planning Group and author of Uncork Your Finances. You can learn more about Amy by heading over to the website, www.rootedpg.com. And now onto the show. Take it away, Amy. Hey, Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Amy. So just so listeners know, I'm about half asleep as we're recording this today. So if I seem to pause and hem and ha a little bit more than normal, I was up fairly early this morning to, uh, record some information about the women's conference that's on November 16th, just a little plug. We're awful lucky to have Michael Martino here on the show today. Mike is an um, elder law attorney that I've worked with a ton over the years. 
And um, we're pleased to have him speak at one of our wine and dine events recently as well. We call it the smoke out event because there was a little bit of a chimney issue at that event. So Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Amy. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I, um, I know that you have a very interesting journey into elder law. As I always say, your vineyard was peppered with uh, different flavors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think if I hadn't been up so early today, we'd be sitting here drinking a glass of wine <laughs> to enjoy that different journey. But I'd love to hear, I'd love for the listeners to hear a little bit more about what influenced you to become an elder law attorney. Well, when I joined, when I got out of law school back in 1986 and uh, joined my law firm, uh, the partners at that point were Rick and Steve Rossetti. And it was mainly a criminal defense firm and they did a lot of real estate. And I graduated from law school in May of 86. And when you graduate from law school in May of 86, you don't take the bar until the end of July. And you didn't find out that you passed the bar until November and they don't admit you until January. So even passing the bar for the first time, you go about a good eight or nine months before you even get admitted. Is it still that way? Um, It's still that way to a certain extent, except that um, the people taking the bar exam now are notified via the internet. Ah, okay. When I was notified, you get an envelope in the mail. <laughs> and a lot of my friends around the state, they had already received their notifications probably a day or two before I received mine. So I got to be nervous two more days than they got to be nervous. Nowadays, everybody's nervous that until 1201 <laughs> on the appointed day. And uh, so you get the, you get the envelope and then you sit there and you decide, how long are you going to wait till you open it? Uh, so that's the big difference. But as far as the time frame is concerned, yeah, I don't think they admit them until January, possibly even February of the year following when they wow. take the bar exam. So, but I was poor ex-law student out of law school and I still needed to eat. So Steve and Rick uh, allowed me to start with the firm before I was admitted, which was a good thing, which a lot of attorneys do. And Rick said to me, look, we're starting to get a lot of questions in this area because he was doing a lot of criminal defense work. Steve was doing a lot of real estate. They'd write wills, but they write, wrote wills for their friends, mm-hmm. people who were their same age. There wasn't a lot of, didn't have a lot of older clients at that point. So I was designated the guy um, to go out and find about. We're starting to get asked a lot of questions about people um, after they retire, people getting sick, long-term care issues, I became the guy that did the estate planning and the wills. And I also became the guy who started uh, finding out about what was known early in the early years as, as elder law. And this was, as I said, 1986, 1987. And it was kind of the beginning of where elder law started. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it was timing. Mm-hmm. And I went to a couple seminars and I started to learn about it. And then when I got admitted, I, um, I realized there was so much that people misunderstood about it. Still there was so much bad information that was out there. And there were things that I could do then because of the difference in the law that I can't even do now that seemed like magic to people. So when I could perform magic for people <laughs> and they were amazed, uh, I liked that. And so, and then of course, as I did, as I started to do more of it, um, People would invite me to do speaking mm-hmm. engagements like like I just did for you. Mm-hmm. And most of those speaking engagements involved food. <laughs> so they would always feed me at this church luncheon or that church dinner and stuff. That's why I was happy to go. And that's kind of that's kind of the way it evolved. So it wasn't, you know, I wish I could say I always wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was something that became a need for the firm and then it became something that I that I did and that I enjoyed and that I was good at but I you know I guess if you want to look at I you know my when I was young my great-grandmother was still my grandparents came over from Italy and all the all the things that went along with that um so you know not not being able to speak English early on here and so understanding just struggles of people who are older and my my grandparents I'm 
those are my father's parents, my grandparents on my mother's side, same way. So I, there's a lot of longevity there. So I was used to comfortable, you know, older people didn't scare me like they, <laughs> like, they like they might some younger yeah, people. Yeah. I was just happy to do it. So your parents were first generation American born or were they actually born in Italy? My father, my father was first generation American okay. born. My, my grandparents, I think, uh, Grandma and Grandpa Martino came from Italy in the early 30s. Okay. So when you were going through high school, your grandparents were still alive at that point. Yeah, they, go, they, they, they all lived up in Watertown, New York. Okay. So at, where there's probably three feet of snow already right now. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so you were from the Corning area, though, right? Your parents lived down in this area, yes. though? Okay. I, my dad uh, graduated from Clarkson. University it's up a in Pakistan, <laughs> and um, but he was ROTC, so he owed the army three years. Got married to my mom in 1959. I was born in an army hospital in Alabama. Uh, don't remember Alabama because I was 18 months. Came up here, he worked for Ingersoll Rand, now Dresser Rand. Okay. So I grew up here. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, you said you liked to do magic, by the way. In our opinion, you still do magic. <laughs> There's still some uh, tricks left, yes. <laughs> well, I think um, one of the things that I find very interesting, and I've gotten um, more insecure about what I say around those topics. I, I've done a ton of continuing education around the topic. But what I've learned is that um, it's like other things that we do around financial planning. The answer is really it depends, right? So. Right where I used to be more confident because I had taken a class on something, I'm now less confident and more likely to say, you know what, we, we should really talk to like Mike about that because things are changing much more frequently in some ways than I think they have ever in the past, but there's fixes around things that it's, it's not as cut and dry as we like to think it is in some respects around other law planning. Right. Um, so we like to say that you do create some magic and that, and I mean, I've seen that firsthand where, um, you've done some things that I'm like, yeah, clearly I'm way, <laughs> way I shouldn't be talking about this at all. Or I just need to be saying calling Mike. And so fortunately, um, you've always been kind enough to let me know when there's areas that need sort of correcting, I guess is the right word that I would use or educating right. around. When it comes to, I mean, so from 1987, you said is when you were admitted, right? Right. Uh, from 1987, the estate laws have changed enormously since then. Um, that's a, I started working for a trust department in 1994 when a ton of um, AB trusts were used and the unified credit was much, much, much lower than it is now. So there's been right. a ton of, of law changes, but I think there's also been a ton of law changes around nursing home rules and Medicaid rules and yes. a lot of that as well. Yes. Um, so that's where it gets very confusing with, I think a lot of people and you mentioned misinformation. Right. There's a lot of misinformation out there that exists Correct. right now. Would you say that there's a particular topic that you hear time and time and time again, that's probably the number one piece of misinformation that's out there? Yes. Uh, and for those of you listening, AB trust that Amy <laughs> talked about, we're just different. We're tax, tax, uh, devices that we don't have to worry about some more, <laughs> so much anymore. But the biggest, I think the biggest overall piece of misinformation that I can, that I can tell people. And then I talked about it when I speak. It's kind of what I open up with when I talk about it because I want people to remember it is, Biggest piece of misinformation is if someone goes to a nursing home, this idea that they haven't planned, quote unquote, far enough in advance means that they will lose everything. Mm -hmm. That is not true. I can pretty much say that's never true, that you would lose everything. Um, but it is what everyone else will tell you mm -hmm. uh, because they always go back to well, you should have done something X number of years in advance. And because you didn't, and now you're in the nursing home because mom's in the nursing home or grandma's in the nursing home, that she has to lose it all because the people that you talk to or the places that you talk to will tell you that. Mm. Um, 
if you want to talk to somebody who worked at Medicaid, Mm-hmm. which is the program that will pay for the nursing home when you're elig- after you're eligible, financially eligible. Mm-hmm. Of course, they're going to tell you, you must spend it all down mm-hmm. because they want you to spend it before they have to spend it. Mm-hmm. That's their job to tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, people at the nursing home the same way. For There are a lot of different reasons for that. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to, you know, no say, say that say that say that I know for sure what motivates them, but there are certain things. A lot of times they don't know all the rules. Mm-hmm. And you would think you work in the nursing home. Why don't you know the rules? Well, their perspective is different from my perspective, and mm-hmm. and what they're looking out for is different than what I'm looking out for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's to me that's the biggest piece of misinformation is that you have to lose it all. And even if your next door neighbor told you that his aunt went to the nursing home and had to lose it all. Or your mailman told them that his grandmother had to lose it all does not mean that it had to be. I believe them that their grandmother had to spend it all Mm -hmm. uh, because maybe they didn't get the right advice at that point in time. But but that's the biggest piece of misinformation that and I, you know, you talk about magic and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. That's one of the things I always ask people. They come in and say, well, dad died a few years ago. Mom's now in the nursing home. She has you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank or investments or something like that. And I asked him, what do you think has to happen to all that? Mm-hmm. Oh, we got to spend it all. We just, we're just here to, I guess, hear you tell us the same thing <laughs> and help us spend, help us get through spending it all. <laughs> and then, and that's when I can explain why that's not the case. Yeah. I think one of the things for me, um, that seems to always be a barrier in working with either myself sometimes, or even an attorney on topics like this is everybody thinks, Oh my gosh, it's going to be so expensive. And one of the things I always try to tell clients when I'm working with them is, well, for example, you know, a will just let's even put it as simple as that. Well, you know, you, there are testate rules that laws that exist that if you don't have a will, here's, here's how you're going to have to go through and, and probate, the estate, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, is that going to go the way you want it to? So spend a couple hundred dollars and go get it drafted with the language right. that you want it to be. Um, it's not, you know, it's not as is expensive. Depending on the complexity of the situation, it's not as expensive as families getting feuds and things getting tied up in potentially court and um, years of trying to figure something out because. You know, somebody didn't put things down on paper or another one that I've heard people say is, oh, I can just download that form online and just have it notarized. And every state is different. And, you know, I'm I one of the things that I'll say is, well, I'm not an attorney, so I'm not going to give you advice. But my understanding is that you getting the document notarized is worthless. It's actually the witnesses getting their signatures notarized. Right, I, did a, I, I did. I had a client in yesterday and I uh, uh, did a will form and we executed it yesterday and he had had his own downloaded offline mm-hmm. legal zoom or something like that deal. And, and he signed it. It wasn't a bad will, except he gave his tools to two different people, which is always, <laughs> which is always interesting because the online legal language, I've seen that. That's the biggest thing I see is that people give the same thing to multiple people. Uh, but his will wasn't witnessed at all. And so his, what he thought was valid, wasn't valid in New York. You have to have two witnesses. Wills aren't notarized, right? They're witnessed and they have to be signed by the individual and witnessed by two people. Mm -hmm. It's one of those uh, is one of the big misunderstandings. And then another big misunderstanding is, um, and, and I'll raise my hand and say I was very guilty of misunderstanding some of this as well. But I was always under the understanding when people wanted to put their personal residence in their kids' names. And I was always of the mindset of, boy, when you do that, it becomes the asset of the child. And if anything bad ever happens, you know, there's um, th- then that trickles down, right? Because even though they have life use of the place, there could still be consequences. And you talked to, I can't remember when it was, but you made the comment that, well, it there, there are ways, the 
person can't take it back, but there are ways that they can set things up so that it does protect that type of situation. And, and those are the kinds of magics that I'm talking about, right? So right. that, so that there are things that you can do that make sure that no matter what you choose to do, there are changes that can be made legally. You have to be made aware of them, but there are changes that can be made even in those kinds of scenarios that don't require necessarily a trust. Because I guess where I was going with that was um, a lot of times people will go to lunches and, mm-hmm. and the people that are the attorneys that are talking are talking like everybody should have a trust right. and trusts do tend to be more expensive than will healthcare proxy power of attorney have all of that kind of stuff. Uh, so they walk out thinking, oh my gosh, I need to spend, you know, if you're in a city, $12,000 to, you know, get a trust done. Right. When in reality, it might be done with beneficiaries or um, co-ownership or something like that. Right. And and so I'd, I'd love to just get your two cents on some of that, if you wouldn't mind. All right. So we've talked about a whole bunch of things in the last two or three minutes. <laughs> so let's go back to the house. I think what Amy's talking about is one of the more common uh, approaches to uh, protecting one's house in the event they ever had to go to the nursing home. Or just avoiding probate. Too. Or avoiding yeah. probate um, is to can transfer the house to the kids. Um, typically, when I do it, it's not transferring it outright to the kids. It would be putting the children's name on it. Mom and dad reserve a life use, which means mom and dad own it while they're alive. Um, And when they both pass away, then the children own it outright. That house does not have to go through probate. The kids own it automatically. All right. You should be videoing this. You're just so good about explaining (laughs) this. (laughs) Sorry. But the other thing that Amy alluded to was... um, I give the parents the ability to change who's on the deed with them. So mom and dad put the two kids on there and something happens where they don't I don't like one of the kids anymore. I want to take them off. You can do that and leave the other one on. So you have some flexibility where if mom and dad ever want to sell the house and two kids were on there, mom and dad would have to sign because they have life views. The kids would have to sign because they also have an ownership interest in it. And if one of the kids says, no, I won't sign, mom and dad have the ability to take that child off and leave whoever will sign on there. So you can't, the way I do it, and and I'll be honest, not all practitioners do this, but the way I do it, you can't be held hostage by your kids if you've done something like this uh, in order to protect the house. And that works to protect the house essentially from long-term care issues. It also does avoid probate. Uh, everybody talks about probate. I guess I should probably say what probate really is. Uh, probate is the process by which your executor and your will is, is officially appointed by the court. Right. And people would say, I just named him in my will. That isn't that good enough. And the answer is no, because you can have multiple wills during your lifetime. And so the court is there to determine your last and final valid will and who you want to be the executor. Uh, gets appointed by the court, and therefore the rest of the world now knows that they're dealing with the right executor. That is probate. Mm-hmm. In New York State, especially in our area of New York State, it takes about three to four weeks to probate a will. And when I say that, I mean that's the time it takes to get the executor appointed. All right. So when people tell you, oh, it took two or three years to probate mom's estate, what they probably mean is it took two or three years to sell mom's house. The executor got appointed right away. You find a buyer sooner than two or three years that maybe you could uh, sell the house. And that's a situation where if the house was just in mom's name yeah. alone, yeah. it's not what I was just talking about. Yeah. So pro- so first of all, probate is not that difficult. But there are a lot of people out there say so you need a trust, need a trust. will tell you that attorneys like me will tell you you don't need a trust because I want to get paid more to, be, to probate the estate. That's not really the deal. I'm just saying that because of the expense of creating a trust, um, Sometimes probate is the better alternative, depending on what the assets are. Mm-hmm. The whole purpose of creating the types of trust that are talked about by a lot of people out there 
the sole purpose of those trusts is to avoid probate. Mm-hmm. They are revocable living trusts, as they're known. Um, and mom and dad, for example, will title their assets in the trust, the Mr. and Mrs. Smith Family Trust, put that on the deed, put that on the bank accounts. So when Mr. and Smith, Mr. and Mrs. Smith pass away, little Sally Smith can be the trustee and she'll distribute it to all the other Smith kids. And away we go, never have to go into the court. All right. Those trusts work fine. They avoid probate. All right. Those trusts are not, do not do anything to protect assets from the nursing home. I just want to be clear about that. Um, but you're avoiding probate. But there are other ways to avoid probate that are much mm-hmm. cheaper, mm-hmm. much less complicated. Mm-hmm. And it really depends on the family makeup. If I have, you know, parents who come into me, they want to avoid probate. They don't want to do a trust. They have a couple kids. Kids both get along and they have the normal array of assets. We might put the house in both the kids' names. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad reserve life use mm-hmm. or life estate. If they have an investment account, most of these investment accounts nowadays can have transfer on debt designation, mm-hmm. TOD designations, mm-hmm. where you can put the two kids on there when you're both deceased. That avoids probate because it goes directly to them. Right. Most IRAs, 401ks, retirement plans, by definition, have beneficiaries on them. I don't think there's anybody financial planner worth their salt that would let yeah. you establish an IRA and not have a beneficiary named on there. Life insurance has beneficiaries on there. Um, if they're joint bank accounts, you know, I'll put Sally join on one account, mm-hmm. little Joey join on the other account. Those accounts go automatically to the kids. So there are other easier ways to avoid probate if that's what we're trying to do. And then in some cases, it does really make sense to have a trust. And I think, you know, like when Brett and I did ours with you, we have complexity issues anyways, but we have the house in Florida. And in order to avoid having to have somebody, you know, probate that property down there, if something ever happens to us, then it made sense for us to do that. And like I said, there was some weird complexities with our situation, but that was a good case, I think. That's when people come to me and they own real estate in different states. That is a situation that often cries out to do a trust. Mm -hmm. So you're not, as you said, you're not probating two states, which which ends up being more complicated, more expensive. Mm-hmm. And some of these states aren't as easy. Florida is a difficult state, mm-hmm. as I understand it, to probate the states. Mm-hmm. So is California. That's why you'll see a lot of people who live there, they all have trust. <laughs> because probating is, is rough, is tougher to do there. Uh, not so much in New York. Yeah. You know, I... Um I'm of the mindset. It's It's not that probate is a bad thing. Like, some people talk about it like it's the evil, right. you know, sin type thing, but right. it's not necessarily, it's a bad thing. It's just, I think people don't, it's like anything that's unknown. People don't right. really know how to do it. So right. it, yeah. Yes. And it's, and it, it, and I'll have that comment just much like the, what do you think is going to happen to the <laughs> yeah. assets? If you're, if, when you go to the nursing home, I'll, I'll say, what is probate? Cause then people will sit down and say, I don't care what we do today, Mike, I must avoid probate. So I'll say to them, what's probate? They go, I don't know. I've just been, everybody told me I have to avoid it. Everybody, everybody told, told me. me I just have to avoid it. And so that is, so then we talk about it and, you know, and I'll, and I'll compare and contrast probate versus a trust. Mm-hmm. There are situa- situations where you may want to probate your estate a lot if people have beneficiaries who are minors. Mm-hmm. My kids have enough. I want to leave stuff to the grandkids. Mm-hmm. Grandkids are young. All right. So I want in my will Mm-hmm. to create trust for the little right. grandkids or for charitable purposes yeah. or a combination of the two, mm-hmm. then you're going to need your will to make those things happen in a lot of cases. Sure, you can have a trust do that too, but I'm just saying you. a lot of times you may need a will depending on the nature of the beneficiaries. Sure. And that all that you're talking about right now, that's why I said I've gotten less confident in some of the ideas behind it. Um, you know, when my role anymore has has become when we talk about doing um, estate review, that's kind of the terminology that we right. use. It's to walk down through uh, who the beneficiaries are. That's right. that's what we do. When yeah. we're looking. I just I want to line by line who the beneficiaries are and make sure that people are good with that piece. I want to make sure they have those documents that we talked about, do they have a will? Do they have a power of attorney, healthcare proxy, all that sort of stuff. If they don't, 
then we talk about what's gotten in the way of doing that, or maybe they don't know who to go to or for something like that. Um, they'll ask sometimes questions about, should I have a trust? And I've, you know, I will say, well, you know, I used to like say, well, if you're trying to avoid probate (laughs) or if you're, um, if you don't want anybody to know what you have and how it's distributed, then that's certainly an option. But I've gotten away from saying stuff like that because it's the, the depends part of it that comes into play. It's, it's not that cut and dry answer. I don't feel it's a cut and dry answer in anybody's situation. And I took a class about two years ago that was, it was actually taught by an attorney and it was teaching financial planners how to not cross the line. Right. And, (laughs) right. It was, it was about, that's a nice thought. (laughs) And as I sat there and listened to what they were saying about where that line is, I became very paranoid about (laughs) the advice that I was giving and where that line was blurry. So I just got to the point where I said, let's review your documents, make sure you have them, make sure that if something in your will says to do something or your trust says to do something, like if you have a trust, and there's supposed to be something that's funded in that, right. you know, that's funds the trust. Let's make right. sure that happens. Yeah. But other than that, I don't, I'll give you information and a direction to go. Right. <laughs> so right. I, I share that because I think sometimes the neighbor that you're talking about right. might be one of us. Exactly. I, I, you know, part <laughs> of one of the hardest parts in, in what you do and I do and, and others like us do is, to, uh, to resist the temptation to be all things to all people. Mm-hmm. And they're there, they're your clients, you want to help them. Say, I better say something because they're looking at me for an answer. Well, sometimes you can't give the answer. Okay. Right? I tell financial, I will never, I will never recommend stocks or mutual <laughs> funds to clients as long as the financial planners don't try to write wills. Uh, it's, you know, so it's, it's yeah. yeah, it but it does get blurred. Mm-hmm. It does get blurred and it does depend. There's so many different, you know, the cost of doing some of these things is, is a determiner. Yeah. You know, if, if you say people want to do a trust, but you're going to charge them X thousands of dollars to do it, or I'm going to charge them several hundred dollars to do a will, mm-hmm. you know, people will say, okay, I, I don't want to spend that much money right yeah. now. Yeah. You know, I will, because I can, I can pretty much say that I can get people to the same place using a will or using a trust. It's just whatever their preference is. Right. And some of it, like you said, some of it's the privacy factor of it. Like that, um, again, that was another driving factor for Brent and I, and it's nothing to do with like, we don't have anything that's all that crazy. Well, the, 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 the private, yeah, the, yes, there is. And the privacy factor, I guess, that you're talking about is when wills and estates are probated, that they become public mm-hmm. records and, and publicly available. Well, so when people say that, especially when I'm, I'm, I'm speaking at places, so I, I, people say, well, it's a privacy factor. Yeah, theoretically, that's correct. And then I ask, all right, how many of you out there have ever gone to the surrogate's court and looked at somebody's <laughs> estate? And nobody raises their <laughs> exactly. hand. So, it's, you know, yeah. <clears throat> yes, if you're, you know, no offense, but if you're somebody really famous, somebody may then go look at your Then it becomes an will. issue, right, right, right. 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 And, and even the surrogate courts now, which is the court that, that deals with Estates and trusts that they, the financial information is more closely guarded than it ever has been. Um, in the old days, they used to ask for an inventory of assets. Where would you put down with dollar amounts and account numbers? Mm-hmm. You know what things were and how much they they were. Um, nowadays, you don't put that stuff on there when you file inventory. You there are very general numbers. You know. Between this dollar amount and that yeah. dollar amount, you, you color in a little circle and you and you send it into them. So mm-hmm. it's I understood. Yes, it's technically correct that I can go look at so and so's will if it's been probated <laughs> and find out to. find out what they did. But um, I know how to I know where to go look for that. But most people don't, yeah. and most people wouldn't. And I've never I've I've done it once or twice in my life, and that just because because I was. 
asked by a court to review something that had already happened. But I think, it, like you said, it's more for the rich and famous. You know, mm-hmm. That's all it's really for. But that is something that sometimes people say it's a privacy factor. I don't right. want anybody to, to look at it. Again, that's where the... Um, the neighbor or the, right. you know, where, where some of the, I, I, I call them rumors or falsities or whatever, but there are a lot out there when it comes, it, it's a mysterious world, estate planning and elder right. law plan, planning is. And the, I had to do this, or my parents had to do this, or my grandma had to do this becomes almost folklore sometimes. Right. And, and that's, and because it's so mysterious and a lot of times people feel at a disadvantage, they don't really understand it. Mm-hmm. They're afraid of missing the boat. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, everybody else did this and I didn't do it? I must have missed something. But when you step back and you look at the logic of it all, I tell people when they say, well, I think I need a trust because everybody else has a trust. Mm-hmm. Or I need this because everybody... I said, does everybody wear a size seven shoe? <laughs> if you went to the shoe store and all there were were size seven, you got to cram your foot in that. I mean, you're going to be like, this is crazy. This doesn't make sense. Yep. doesn't make sense. So it can't make sense that everybody needs the same thing. Yeah. I think the only thing that everybody needs the same thing on is a power of attorney, if you want to talk <laughs> about that, because that's a, that's become one of the most invaluable documents there is out there. But other than that. It, so let's it, let's chat about that for yeah. just a second. What Explain what a power of attorney actually is, what it does, why it's so important. All right. First of all, power of attorneys are basically state specific. All right. So I'm going to talk uh, about New York power of attorneys that I'm licensed to practice in New York. But it is true that every state has its own power of attorney. There's no such thing really as a federal power of attorney, which is. So if you move from state to state, you really need to have that document updated. I tell people if they move from state to state or if they're going to live half the year in another, another state, they would do well to get a power of attorney from that state. That's not to say that if somebody's in Florida for three or four months and all they have is a New York state power of mm-hmm. attorney, that a push came to shove, that it wouldn't be honored. It would be, mm-hmm. it very well likely would be honored in many different states, but that's after the, the bank teller mm-hmm. has talked to their supervisor and their supervisor mm-hmm. has talked to their lawyer and you come back in a couple of weeks and we'll let you know if mm-hmm. you can use the power of attorney. I got to pay mom's electric bill today. So mm-hmm. blah. So they're just practical reasons as to why you'd want to okay. do that. So power of attorney is a document where you're giving other people the ability to take care of business and financial and legal matters to a certain extent mm-hmm. for someone. You're, you're giving them the power to act for you in those mm-hmm. situations. So it's like the power of the pen, right? I mean, it's right. kind of, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's the power to basically it's used. If, if I'm your power of attorney, Amy, it's, it's, I can pay your bills for you when you get sick. I can authorize the financial advisor to uh, pay out the required minimum distributions from your IRA in a given year. I can sell your home if you're really incapacitated, no longer to live, live there and you need to move into an apartment or something like that, but unable to sign your name. I, anything that you can do, I can do basically. I can't sign a new will for you as your power of attorney. Mm, good point. All right. But I can basically do every everything else that needs to be done. So extremely, extremely powerful document, but extremely necessary. Um, and, you know, my preference for the ones that I do is if there's a way we get a couple people, mm-hmm. point a couple people on there as power of attorney so that either one can act on their own. Mm-hmm. So it's mom and dad appoint each other and one of the kids, mm-hmm. for example. So because if mom and dad are in the same car accident, both in the hospital, they're not going to be able to do for each other. You need another another person on there to do for them Um, because of a lot of the Medicaid and elder law stuff and the asset protection. I would want the power of attorneys to involve to include gifting powers in New York. There's a gift rider that gets attached. So if we need to move assets around to keep them protected and mom or dad can't sign their name anymore, whoever's power of attorney can do that. I tie those gifting powers to be consistent with what the will is. So if one kid's power of attorney, he or she can't take it all for themselves. If it's the will says split up amongst all the kids. So there's there are protections you can put in there. What about like beneficiary changes? Can the power of attorney sign to have beneficiary changes like on a retirement account or anything like that? Yes. Okay. 
does there need to be special language in that or is it something? Yes. Okay. I put special language in mind to do that. Yeah. Um, in context, um, still the overriding consideration, and this has been ruled upon by the highest court in New York, is that whatever is estate planning type stuff that's done by a power of attorney still has to be consistent with mom or dad or whoever you're acting for with their yeah. existing estate plan. Yeah. And the reason, the reason I find it important to be able to change beneficiaries on IRAs and those types of funds is because IRAs and 401ks and those types of assets are not considered available if somebody goes to the nursing home. So if, um, if I have half a million dollars in my IRA and I go to the nursing home, that's not considered an available asset. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, when I die, if mm -hmm. my children are the beneficiaries, it goes to them automatically. Right. Medicaid or the nursing home doesn't have the right to claim against my IRA after I'm dead, as long as I have beneficiaries on there. If for some reason I don't have beneficiaries on there because I didn't do it yeah. and then I get sick and I really wanted my kids to have it, if my power of attorney has that power, they can then fix it or make it right. If the IRA administrator has lost the records, needs to update the records or anything like that, I have the power of attorney has the ability to fix that because that's for most people, that's one of their biggest assets mm -hmm. of their retirement right. funds. And the fact that it is not counted as an available asset by Medicaid and the nursing home, mm -hmm. number one, is a huge surprise for people. Yeah, yeah. Magic again. Yeah, oh, magic. my gosh. You know, but yeah. that's true. And to continue its unreachability, if that's a <laughs> word, you want to make sure your power of attorney can fix it if it didn't get done right. And um, an interesting topic that came up at the smokeout, mm -hmm. keep going with that, um, was... Um, we were talking about the New York state about five years ago, I think it was kind of came out with some new language that they wanted power of attorneys to have. And I had a situation where um, the organization I was working with wouldn't accept one of our clients powers of attorneys because they were about, it was about 10 years old. Right. And they said, no, we need an updated one. And I believed them. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, <laughs> and so I, you know, I was working with the client to try to get an updated power of attorney with them. And one comment that you made was, no, if they have a power of attorney, they have a power of attorney. Like right. you just have to push back on that. And so we did. We, right. right after that, I can't, I came back and I said, okay. <laughs> How'd you do? <laughs> We actually got it to oh, go through. <laughs> so kudos to you. Oh. But but here's the situation. Like, again, you know, I believe them. I right. believe that they told me the truth. And right. why wouldn't I? Right? right. Why Why would I doubt that this financial institution would tell me something wrong like that? And I, well, I'm, I'm joking. And right. But I'm, I'm exactly. That, but. but, you know, I'm a, overall, a lot of these, I'm a big believer in trusting your gut and a big believer yeah. in logic. Um, so what, what they did was. Back in 2009, they changed the power of attorney form in New York. And they said every all power of attorneys after 2009 have to strictly follow a certain format. And, of course, they didn't even write that law very good, so they revamped it again in 2010. <laughs> but generally, after 2009, um, the power of attorneys take a different form than prior to 2009. But the law also said prior to 2009, anything that was done all right, was still good. Those older power of attorneys were still good. And so, you know, immediately after that, I didn't have all my clients come in and do new mm -hmm. power of attorneys. You know, I was I was stubborn and I didn't like the fact that they changed it all. And I knew the old ones were still good. Mm -hmm. So what's the big deal? Mm -hmm. right, why would we do new ones? Um, we're 10 years down the road now. So yeah. as in your case, people are starting to forget. Mm -hmm. uh, banks are starting to forget that the old ones are still good. So I'll update them more from a practical standpoint mm -hmm. than a legal standpoint. But if you think of the logic of I signed my power of attorney back in 2005 because someday, sure. someday I may get sick and I can't take care of mm -hmm. myself. All right. So the intent. So I can't predict when that day is going to be. So this idea that I have to keep updating it mm -hmm. or the funny part when you go to people, when you go to banks and they say, well, we need a new one now because that one's too old. Mm -hmm. And the person that you're acting for is incapacitated at that mm -hmm. point. You can't get a new one. Right. So the logic of it is you do them and they stand and the law has always followed that when you did them, if, as long as they were proper at the time you did them, mm -hmm. they would be good essentially forever. Now banks and other institutions get worried 
about power of attorneys that have a certain amount of age to them. Because remember, power of attorneys are only good while the individual is alive. Right. All right. So if you're my power of attorney, it's only good when I'm alive. When I die, it's then my executor that mm-hmm. takes care of my business. Power of attorney takes care of my business while I'm alive. So they would get worried that somebody who was a power of attorney was trying to pull a fast one on them. Mm-hmm. You know, my grandmother died three years ago, but I'm going to see if I can still get her money with my power of attorney. So they have the right to be concerned about that. What they would ask for is something known as a full force and effect affidavit, which basically where the person who's power of attorney signs an affidavit under penalty of perjury. Uh, that okay. A, person is still alive. Mm-hmm. All right. B, they've never revoked it, never told me that they've revoked it. Mm-hmm. So therefore, I believe it's still to be good and valid. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really what banks and institutions are looking for, gotcha. all right, in, in most cases. But the way it gets conveyed to the, the clients of the individuals, this is no good. Mm-hmm. We need something dated within six months. Mm-hmm. Then I will mm-hmm. call you the full force and effect affidavit. But with the cha- one of the biggest changes from the old power of attorney form to the new power of attorney is the new power of attorney form now requires not only the person giving the power sign, but also the person who's going to be power of attorney sign. Mm-hmm. That was never the case prior to 2009. So that's one of the first things that'll happen. You send in a power of attorney that's dated 2008, they'll reject it. Your power of attorney never signed it. Well, there wasn't a place for the power of attorney right. to sign it back then. Right. I've got a, I've got a standard letter with all the law in it that I will send out. <laughs> Maybe, um, yeah. But, 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 but when I'm doing the Medicaid stuff and I need to move stuff around quick and have the power of attorney do something quicker, mm-hmm. a lot of times I don't have time to have that yeah. argument for three or four weeks with, right. with somebody who's deciding whether to take the old one or not. Uh, which is one of the reasons I'm starting to get people to update them. I hate doing it because it's not really people should take them, but their practicalities. So, uh, you know, that brings up a really good question that I've been asked before. How frequently should somebody sit down with the attorney that drafted up their will and healthcare proxy and power of attorney and review that stuff? Like I always say every three years for like your auto home and umbrella policy, but how often should they do it for those documents? You know, I, I think people should look at those documents at least once a year. That's not the same thing as having to come and meet with me once a year, yeah. but look at them to remind themselves what's, what's in there. I don't have a hard and fast rule okay. as to, but if they look at if they look at them once a year and, Oh my gosh, I had my brother as my guardian for my kids and mm-hmm, he yeah. died or he yeah. moved to Tokyo or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. And, I, you know, I forgot about that and then we could redo them. Um, so I, I think if their circumstances change, if it's hard. It's, would it be nice if everybody looked at them every couple of years and called me to see mm-hmm. if something was, yeah, probably, but. I don't have a hard and fast. Rule. Okay. I mean, I guess that's one of the things that we might be able to do or coach people on a little bit right. is when was the last time that you read through your documents right. and has anything changed? And if it has, you know, coach them to, to go get those updated from that perspective. Right. And I've kind of always thought in my head, like every five years, just, I, you know, things change a lot. And I think the age probably comes into play with that a little bit too. Um, when you have, uh, people that have kids that are aging and they were minors right. and all of that kind of stuff, um, you know, perhaps kind of taking that into consideration and having some updated language is important around that lines. Um, the other thing that I was thinking about while you were talking is the HIPAA um, document. And especially we've been talking to our clients that have children going off to college. Yes. And suggesting that they have that document drafted and perhaps even the power of attorney drafted in case something happens when they're because they don't have rights to that information. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the. um, So there are really two documents. One is the power of attorney that we've talked about. There's also a healthcare proxy. It's Mm -hmm. a separate document to allow someone to make healthcare decisions for you. So in New York state, the, there's a power of attorney for financial business, mm-hmm. and then there's a healthcare proxy for medical. Mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, for example, they combine it into one document, okay. but not so in New York, okay. right? The HIPAA authorization that allows individuals to get your private medical information, 
I put that a release in each of those documents. Okay. I put it in my power of attorney so that if your power of attorney needs to get medical records because the insurance company won't mm -hmm. pay the claim, you can't authorize it yourself. They're able to do it or move records from one doctor to another. Uh, the power of attorney can do that for mm -hmm. you. Also in the, in the healthcare proxy for obvious reasons. So if somebody needs to talk to the doctor about what your situation is to help make a decision, you want it in there also. Yeah. I think everybody, everybody who's 18 or older should, should do it. Um, yeah. and for, I know things are a lot different because you can do so many things electronically nowadays. Uh, but still, uh, I will recommend that kids going to college give mom and dad a power of attorney and a healthcare proxy mm -hmm. for them. Yeah. Uh, for the kids, uh, giving it to mom and dad. Right, so mom right, and dad can right, sign for them. Right. So if the loan checks comes in or if they need to deposit something, because a lot of the kids will keep bank accounts here at home right. and they're away. Or if there's, yo, know, you forgot to sign this one financial aid paper <laughs> where mom and dad can sign it for them kind of and, those, and those types of things. Or, you know, if something unfortunate happens with it, with a child's health at college mm -hmm. and stuff like that, Technically, you walk into the emergency room and say, tell me what's happening with my kid. Who are you? I'm the mom. So what? Right. Under the law, they can say, so what? We can't tell you anything. But having the healthcare proxy and the power of attorney allows information that way. I can count on one hand the number of people who have done it. There's probably um, going to be a wave coming pretty soon. <laughs> there's, um, I have... Uh, you know, one, quite frankly, was another financial planner mm -hmm. who had children who was more aware of this going to yeah. college. And we did that. And I just had other clients who thought about it and it just kind of came up and they did it. And they really they really got their kids in over the summer when they were here to sign power of attorneys. It's 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 such a simple, not very expensive document yeah, to yeah, do yeah. that is it, it, it just amazing the amount of problems can be solved by having those documents. Yeah. So we've started doing that. This, I mean, when, um, that's part of the review process again, and that's right. where, um, that's where I think as financial planners, we can, we can walk in our lane, you know, right. kind of with those conversations without stepping over into traffic right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and making sure that we don't, um, we don't cross that line on, uh, I mean, serving in a legal capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, so time has gone so fast. I can't believe we're 47 minutes into this already. I told you it would probably, <laughs> I'd get engaged in the conversation and lose track of time, but I do, um, appreciate all that you've shared with us today. And I think a lot of the, the listeners will as well, but on a personal note, I always like to ask people two kind of closing questions. One of, one is more, um, because everybody's definition is different. What, what is your definition of success? As a, let me just kind of, before you go there, say from the outside looking in, you appear to me as a very successful person, but that's Thank more, you. that's more from a standpoint of reputation and skill set that I've been able to see, but that doesn't always mean that that's your definition of success. You know, I have, I have a lot of nieces and nephews from brothers and sisters-in-laws through the years. And, you know, they've talked to me a lot and asked for advice about a lot of things um, as to what they're going to do for their careers and how they're going to make money. And I've always told them that if they find something that can make them happy and that they enjoy doing a, the money usually follows. If you're if you're worried about making money and supporting yourself, which everybody is, um, but you can't stand to go into work or something, that's to me that's not a success. To me, being successful is doing what makes me happy, uh, which involves in this case, you know, being able to help a lot of people in and out of situations that they don't have. So I know that, you know, it's, it's, it's the stock answer when people ask, why do you want to be a lawyer? Well, I want to help people and this and that, but it kind of is, you know, what I do. So I'm that I, I, I'm, I'm, I do something that I'm satisfied with and 
makes me happy and feels like I've accomplished something. Mm -hmm. If I feel like I've accomplished something and I advance somebody else's life mm -hmm. as well as my own, mm -hmm. to me, that's a success. And that's, well, and I think working with, oh, well, because you work with young people too. I mean, it's not just elderly. Yeah, I work with you, Amy. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. <laughs> as well as many others. <laughs> uh, I mean, we, we tell people in their 30s to go get a will and those document, you know, the power right. of training healthcare proxy anyways. But, but I think you, when you're working, when you're doing what you're doing, maybe some people are more in for the litigation side or in for the mm -hmm. thrill of the litigation. Mm -hmm. But I think when you're working in estate planning and elder law, you have to love what you do or it's mm -hmm. going to drown you because mm -hmm. it's fixing everybody else's problems every day. Yeah. Pretty much. And then because of that, what, what do you do to recharge? What feeds you, feeds your soul? I was picking on him about this earlier. <laughs> well, I, I do like to play golf. I do like to go down to Florida where it's warm in the, in the winter as much as I can. Um, I just spend time with, with family and friends and, you know, and your cowboy and stuff boots. like that. And I, I'm, I am, Currently without cowboy boots. Oh, someday, someday I'm, 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 I'm going to get some more again. Um, but yeah, I think it's those types of things. I know you can't tell. I don't me. know that I'm. I don't know that I'm that complicated anymore. <laughs> of an individual. Oh, well, I've heard that peanut butter and pop tarts make you happy. So <laughs> pop tart is not good unless there's peanut butter on it. So thank you for so much for sharing your knowledge and. You know, some tips. I think a lot of people uh, really are very intimidated by the word estate planning or elder law planning. And um, I know you work with a lot of financial planners in the area, and there's a reason for, for that. I think a lot of us feel very comfortable with the way that you work with our clients and, you know, feel good about referring, um, you know, you you will take care of them. So um, we will have your contact information and your firm information in the show notes if people are looking for somebody. You also have Joe um, Joe Rogers uh, Rogers at the firm. If uh, yeah, he's also in our states in the state planning department. So if and people are in need immediately, just oh, Joe can yeah, you know. Joe real. Good lawyer. Yeah, I've had a couple uh, people say that they're working with him. Yes, really uh, as well. But. He's one of the younger guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm one of the old guys yeah, now. Old. Uh, but uh, you know, Joe, very good, Joe. And the firm still does real estate work. The, they're still very well known for their real the estate work. Firm still does, <laughs> the firm still does a lot of yeah. uh, real estate, both residential and commercial. Mm -hmm. uh, Rick Rosetti, Gabe Rosetti do a lot of small business consulting, yeah. you know, the LLCs, the small mm -hmm. businesses, that type, that part of the business. Um, and that pretty much keeps us all busy at yeah. this point. Well, you, and you're located primarily on Pulteney, but you also have, a, nope, you're located primarily on Pulteney. <laughs> We are only on Pulteney okay. now. We are only on 269 West Pulteney Street recording. That's correct. We'll get that corrected in the, in the editing. <laughs> any final tip that you would give to any of our listeners? Oh, I mean, now that we're sitting here talking, I mean, I feel like there's about an hour more that I oh. need to say. That we haven't done. Um, a couple things. Number one, with respect to the, the estate planning, all right? I think in general, people are intimidated by the process. People don't know what to expect mm -hmm. by the process and that, and that prevents them from doing that. Mm -hmm. All right. I can say without question that it is a million times easier than you think it is. Mm -hmm. All right. It really is. Um, if you're going to wait until you get the perfect plan in your head, you'll wait forever. There really is no such thing as perfection. We can get awful close. No such thing as perfection, so that shouldn't stop you from doing it. When I sit down and talk to people about doing their estate planning, I say, all right, say, you don't have to tell me what you think I want to hear or how it has to be put. Let's sit here like we're sitting around your breakfast table having a mm -hmm. cup of coffee, and I say, what do you want to have happen to your stuff when you're not there anymore? What are you worried about this and that? And they'll just start talking to me, and I have that conversation, and then I can 
because there's virtually, you can virtually do anything you want. So people say, oh, I just want to make sure that when I die, everything goes to my wife. My wife dies, everything goes to me. And then when we, when we both uh, pass away, I wanted to go to the kids, but I have this, you know, special grandchild mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or something like that. And I want to do a little something for them or, you know, uh, my niece and my nephew always liked my fishing equipment, my hunting <laughs> equipment, my jewelry or this or that. I want to make sure they get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a special needs grandchild. Yeah, that's or somebody, a big deal. Somebody yeah. who's disabled and every, and I don't know how to deal with them. So I've never, but I want them to have something. There are so many good ways you can you can take care of those things. We just need to start talking about it. Yeah. I think I'm pretty good at you are. getting people where they want to be after that. But I just want to talk to them about it and see what, but that helps me. It just having them talk to me like they talk to anybody else, yeah. I can better figure out their goals. And so that's on the estate planning side. On the elder law and nursing home side of things, I guess one of the other biggest things I can say is there is for the most part, much more time for you and your family to make decisions about what happens to money, what happens to assets, what happens to loved ones, mm-hmm. all right, than you expect. Because when people go to nursing homes, um, it's not the fault of administrations and hospitals or nursing homes necessarily, but things start flying around. You got to sign this. You got to do this. What do you want to do tomorrow? You know, you got to spend this. You're going to lose this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's time to say time out. I want to go talk to the lawyer or advisor mm-hmm. and we'll get back to you, mm-hmm. you know, but the world will not end if they don't get an answer in 30 seconds. It's okay so, to say that. It's okay yes, to, say it's okay to slow it all yeah. down. Yeah, It's okay to slow it all down. I think that's, and you know, and we're, this is traumatic for people. If somebody's husband or wife has to go to a nursing home. That just that in and of itself. And now you want to pile everything else on top of them and get it, try to get it all done in five minutes. Ain't going to happen. And sometimes it's at the hospital level. Um, You know, there was a case that you helped with where mom was, the family was being told that mom needed to go. Like she needed to exit the hospital. And where was mom supposed to go, (laughs) you know, and whether the family didn't understand or whether it was just a very stressful time, that pausing period, as you were referring to slow, slow it down. It's like, wait, no, stop. It doesn't have a decision doesn't have to be made today. And a phone call was made and things were put on pause. And yeah, it's a, it's, it's a lack of communication. A lot of times, coming from hospitals and healthcare facilities, they're using their terminology mm-hmm. and families are hearing it as something else. Right. It's not necessarily anybody's fault, but right. it's just how it's, so it, because there comes a time when somebody's in the hospital that they don't need acute medical care anymore. And the hospitals, you've got to get out of here mm-hmm. because insurances aren't paying for right. it. So the family hears that and they hear it like, oh, my gosh, they're going to wheel mom to the yeah, front, yeah. to the front, front uh, stoop and leave her there. And that's not really what's happening. And they can't make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a variety of we have to discharge your mom today. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean home. Mm-hmm. All right. It means they're what they're saying is they no longer have a medical need where they have to be in the hospital. Mm-hmm. But I tell everybody when somebody's in the hospital, the hospital has the problem mm-hmm. because they just can't discharge somebody because they want to get rid of them. They have to have a safe discharge. They can't go back home and they're not going back home. They have to go to the nursing home. I guess the hospital has to wait till they find the right nursing home. And that that right there. <clears throat> but what? the impression that the hospital is the, the, oh, you're a horrible daughter. You won't take mom home. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We got to slow everything down and talk about this. They cannot throw them out into the street. <laughs> and like I said, I wish we were videoing this because if you all <laughs> could see the expressions um, on Michael's face, then you would know that uh, there's also a passion to yes, protect. Yes, that's, that's, yeah. I'm very passionate about this stuff because <laughs> it's just. Yeah, it's, a, a, it's a passion I, to protect. I, I, I want say. people to be informed. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to be intimidated. Mm-hmm. I don't want people at their most vulnerable to be bullied into things mm-hmm. that don't have to happen. Um, 
And that have- sometimes that trait backfires on me, <laughs> uh, but most of the time it seems to work out right. But people don't know that, and that's right. that protection um, that kicks in. Uh, that's the magic. So. Yeah, I want to be. I guess I want to be that part of their personality that's that needs to be resurrected mm-hmm. and knows it confidently. I mean, that's the difference too. So. Well, thank you so much for those two final tips. We so appreciate <laughs> it. Much. And, uh, you know, like I said, if people are interested in reaching out to the firm, we're going to have a bunch of contact information in the show notes. Your website will be listed there. And, um, you know, if anybody has any further questions, they can certainly schedule an appointment with you or somebody at your firm to, to talk through their situation individually. Yes. We have our website. You can leave... You can make contact with us through that if you need to, as well as calling the office. Great. Thanks so much. Welcome to the Nurse Your Vine section of the podcast, where we take a few minutes to answer some of your questions. Today, I'm going to be answering a couple of questions about Medicare. That's been a hot topic recently. This is a very short edition of the Nourish Your Vine section, but we want you to head on over to our blog and some of the resources on our website for additional information. When people ask me about Medicare, they don't realize that there are three different parts to Medicare. That's traditional Medicare. And there's actually four when we think about it. There's Medicare Part A, which is hospitalization. There's Medicare Part B, which is your doctors and your labs. There's Medicare Part D, which is your prescription coverage. And then there's Medicare Part C, which is also known as Medicare Advantage. This time of year, we see tons of ads out there for um, different companies that are offering different plans. Some might include dental or vision or whatever they might be. Some of the Medicare Advantage plans are an all-in-one plan, meaning that that they would cover different things like hospitalization, your doctors, the lab work, the prescriptions. And some of the Medicare Advantage plans are simply hospitalization and doctor visits, and then you have to go get a separate Part D plan. In Steuben County, uh, when I pulled it up, there were over 20 different Medicare Advantage plans that were actually eligible for somebody to enroll in. Some have additional premiums above and beyond the Part B, while others have no additional premium. That doesn't mean that you don't pay anything. That means that you just pay your Medicare Part B premium. We understand that this is a very confusing area of medical care. Once you get to age 65, or if you've been on disability for more than two years, you're eligible for Medicare. And it's not, oh, you know, it's not a, a set it and forget it election. Every year we want you to be reviewing because your medical, medical needs change throughout the course of the year and your prescriptions change throughout the course of the year. So like I said, this is just a very, very high level view of the of Medicare. And we'd like you to hop on over to our blogs and to our videos on the website, which is www.rootedpg.com for additional resources. We'd love to hear your questions. You can submit them either through the Apple um, rating, or you can send us questions through info at rootedpg.com and you're always welcome to send us an email directly to any of us which is our first name and in my case amy at rootedpg.com we'd love to hear from you we'd love to have your question and that will about do it for today's episode of wine and dine you can contact amy through the website www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at RootedPG for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. Don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.